What I have to discuss this morning, it's actually a continuation of the last message that I, I shared. Um, you know, if you remember the last message that I shared, it was on um, the finished work and how the finished work uh, involves that which took place from the cross to the throne. And um, it's not just what took place at the cross. And that's, that tends to be what we focus on. Now, there was a work finished on the cross, but it wasn't all of redemption. Redemption covered from, uh, the, from the cross all the way till Jesus sat down on the throne at the right hand of the Father. And so this morning, it, it's, it's a continuation of that, but it stands on its own. Um, you know, I, sh- I was sharing with Jeremiah the other day. I said it's like a prequel, you know, like a movie. It comes second, but, you know, the timeline is before the act of the first movie. That's kind of the way this is. It, it, it's a prequel because this will help you um, understand. It, it will answer many of the questions that you have uh, about that message from the cross to the throne. And, you know, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Peter is speaking about Paul. And he, he refers to that which Paul teaches as being hard to understand. There are just some truths in Christianity that are just hard to understand. You know, and we, we do our best to put words to them. We do our best to explain them, to teach them. Um, and, and, but we still fail. You know, it's like, you know, I, I fully expect that when I'm done today, I'll still be like, I could have explained that a little bit better, you know. Um, and, and I also, what I want you to do this morning for me is I want you to pray for clarity for myself this morning because this is one of those subjects that a little deviation to the left or the right and you've went full-blown crazy, right? You know, it's, it's just like you're, you're off. This requires pinpoint accuracy um, or you'll misunderstand or you'll, you'll get off into some wrong teaching. Um, you know, I'm from Appalachia, and in Appalachia, we don't live on streets, we live in hollers, all right? And the thing about holler roads is they are narrow, and if you go a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, you'll be sleeping in the creek tonight, all right? So this message is a holler road message, okay? So, um, so we're going to do our best to get it right, but uh, before I explain exactly what we're going to talk about, let's go ahead and begin reading some. 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to begin with verse 1. John speaking here. He says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits or test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets. Did he say a few false prophets? He said many false prophets. I think that's very important. Are gone out into the world. Hereby know we the Spirit of God. Now listen to this. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh or in a flesh body is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof you heard that it should come and even now already it is in the world. All right, now let's go to 2 John. There's only one chapter in 2 John. I want to read verse 7, and it's John's next epistle. 
Um, and he's saying kind of the same thing here, but I just want to read it for clarification. Uh, verse 7, it says, For many, did he say many or few? Many. Many deceivers are entered into the world. I think this is important, and the reason I emphasize this, I was just sharing with someone recently. You know, there was a time in my life when I heard, oh, this person's preaching grace, so I'm going to listen to them. And it, you know, it took me a few years to realize just because someone preaches grace doesn't mean they're good for me to listen to. All right, just because someone's preaching the word doesn't mean it's good. They're they're good for me to listen to, because there are many. He said many false prophets, and then he said many deceivers. And we tend to look at it as well. You know, they're they're just here and there. You know, you know, here and there. There's there's a few deceivers. There's a few false prophets. But John is saying here, there's many. Okay, and I just, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. That's just, that's just something I want to throw out there. For many deceivers are entered into the world. Listen to this. What makes them deceivers? Who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So here is something that I find really interesting about these scriptures. If you go around to a hundred churches... And I include in this one, and I ask, what makes um, a church or a denomination or you know a belief system false? What is the one thing that they teach and believe that makes them a cult? Okay, um, I believe that 99% of churches would say, and probably 100% of churches, and they would be right. But we're, I'm going to make a point would say that what makes someone a cult or a false belief system is not believing in Jesus' divinity. And Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. I'm not doing away with that. But what I find interesting is the early church, their litmus test for what is truth was Jesus' humanity. They were. John was more concerned about not are they preaching that he is God. He is. But John was more concerned with, are they preaching that God became a man? See, because, and here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Jesus the man. And I'm going to share some things today that, that may make you say, whoa. And, and remember, we're on a holler road, right? We, 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 can't, <laughs> we can't deviate to the left or right. We're going to stay straight and narrow here. Um, but let me say from the get-go... Jesus is God, all right? Jesus was God, he is God, he will forever be God. But God became a man. And it's sort of like we have this belief, well, yeah, he sort of became a man, but, you know, he was God. So not just like us, but kind of like, a little bit like us, but not completely like us. And what I'm going to teach you today is this, the counsel, the full counsel of scriptures teach us that God fully became a man. And we have so many assumptions. You know, like one is, uh, and maybe you've shared this meme, and I'm, I'm not picking on you. I don't know of anyone here that shared this, so if you have, I'm not picking on you. You know, there's a meme I see, I've seen a lot on Facebook around Easter time. Uh, you know, Jesus' death proved he was God. His or his, Jesus' death proved he was man. His resurrection proved he was God. That's wrong. Because what do you do with the fact that everybody in here one day, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be resurrected. Does that make you God? No. 
God resurrected Jesus. See, that's what we taught in that last message, that on the cross, Jesus finished His work and He committed His Spirit into the hands of the Father. And from there on, He was in the hands of God. And what did God do? God resurrected Him. All right? So, uh, but we're, we're going to get into that. Let me not get ahead of myself. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 9. It'll take me a few minutes to lay the foundation, um, but this, this is going to bless you. I, I kind of got to give you a word of warning right here. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9. He said, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. Now, whenever you read Paul speaking to Timothy... Know that you're reading uh, something that is very valuable for us because Timothy was a young minister. And so, so Paul is very careful with what he teaches Timothy. You know, there are, you can't really find in the general epistles, which are written to all believers, you know, at a church, you don't really find Paul mentioning false teachers by name. But when he's writing Timothy, he flat out mentions the teacher's name so Timothy can't be mistaken because he wants to make sure that, some, that, that this young man is teaching the truth, okay? Uh, look here, verse, verse 9. Holding the mystery. Everyone say mystery. Mystery. Holding the mystery of the faith, not of faith. There's a difference in the faith and faith. You can have faith for a car. You can have faith for healing. You can have faith uh, for whatever it is that you need. Uh, and we can be, and we can, everyone in here right now is exercising faith for different things. Some of us are exercising our faith, you know, believing for healing. Some of us are exercising our faith, believing for a home, uh, for our children. We're, we can all exercise faith in different ways. But the one thing everyone has in common here this morning is we're all exercising our faith in the faith. See, the faith is about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. So Paul is saying here, he's saying there is a mystery to the faith. Verse 16. Now I love this verse, and it's a little wordy, uh, but listen. And without controversy. In other words, there is one uh, thing you can guarantee. There is plenty of controversy about what I'm about to talk about. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. So he's saying, listen, this is controversial. If you're going to talk about this, it's going to stir up some controversy. Because, and, and the reason is, is because it's a mystery. All right, so everything I'm going to talk about here this morning, I want you to know something right out the gate. I'm not a know-it-all. I don't have it all figured out. There is a mystery to the humanity of Jesus. There is a mystery to that dividing line. You know, I had someone send me a, a bunch of questions the other day about this subject. And there, you know, and it was, you know, when, well, when did he become a man? When, when will he not be a man? And things like that. And I'm going to answer all that this morning. But there, you, you can try to divide the line so much that, you know, I always tell people, listen, if you make a ministry of splitting hairs, eventually you're going to run out of hairs to split. Right? Um, so there is a mystery here, but what is the mystery? Listen, God, everyone say God. God was manifest in the flesh, in a flesh body, justified in the Spirit. Why would God need to be justified in the Spirit? It's what we talked about last time, what happened in the death, burial, and resurrection. 
seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, right? He calls Him God, but he says this God was manifested in the flesh. And there's a mystery here. It is a mystery. It's hard to explain, but it's the truth. God became a man. All right, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to get into it now. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. Paul speaking here says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, here's the thing. He's not referring to Jesus in the body at this point. He's, refer- he's saying, hey, this man, Jesus, was God. Verse 7. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of... A- so, he's saying he was in the form of God, but he became and took upon the form of a servant. Now, it's, it's getting wordy, but I promise I'll, I'll make it clear here in a minute. He took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So let me say this first. This is the reason that I am teaching this message. Because So the last message I taught, um, you know, I got a little bit of... of, of people upset, a few people upset, and as I talked to them, here, here was the problem. It's like this, this trickle down, you can see, okay, because they don't see this, they don't see that, because, you know, it's like some. So the big problem people have is, well, you said Jesus was born again. They have a problem with that because they, they don't believe that Jesus went to hell. They have a problem with that because they really don't believe Jesus became sin. They have a problem with that because they really don't believe Jesus took upon Himself the curse of the law. They have a problem with that because they really don't believe Jesus was a man. Now, if you ask them, do you believe Jesus was a man? Well, yeah, He was 100% God, He's 100% man. Philippians here, remember where it says He took upon Himself the form of a servant or He made Himself of no reputation? Made Himself of no reputation is one word in the Greek, and it's canoe. K-E-N-O-O. And in theological circles, you know, scholar, scholarly works, they call this the great kenosis. All right, and just like Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.16, it's not without controversy, okay? It's, it's people argue over it. But what, this word means one thing. Canoe or kenosis means to empty oneself or to empty something of its contents. So it was saying, here was Jesus who was in the form of God and He emptied Himself. He's in the form of God, but He emptied Himself. What did He empty Himself of? Again, remember, it's a holler road. He emptied Himself of His divine attributes. This is the mystery. What does that mean? I'm not saying Jesus isn't God. God did this. See, this makes the gospel message more powerful to me, that God did this. God did this. But God became a man 
And I'm telling you, he became a 100% man. He was the second Adam. The first Adam was born without sin. So that's important to say. I'm not saying that the second Adam was born with sin. He never knew sin. He was born just like the first Adam, perfect. Right? No, he knew no sin. All right, so, so he, but he emptied himself of his divine attributes, of his, of his, holler road. <laughs> so he, he emptied himself of his divine attributes. Let's leave it there for a minute. All right, so I just want to give you some thoughts. All right, look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. So this is right after, you remember Jesus was 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem, his family had, and here they get halfway back home and they're like, wait a minute, anybody seen Jesus? No, you know, Jesus isn't around. They go back to Jerusalem, they find him in the temple talking to the teachers and, and, and things like that. And so this is right after this has just happened. And verse 52 says, uh, see, because listen, I, I'm going to bring out a lot of things that we just assumed. Here's the way that I used to assume this story was going. Mary and Joseph find Jesus, and he's in their school and all the rabbis because he's God, so he knows more than they know. Uh, but it says, listen, well, I'm going to go to verse 46. You don't have to put it there, Casey, but I'm going to listen to verse 46. It's referring to Jesus in the temple. It says, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Does it say he was teaching them? It says he was hearing them and asking them questions. He was learning, right? Now, verse 52, that's important, verse 52. And Jesus increased, everybody say increased, increased in wisdom and stature, listen to this, and in favor with God and man. He increased in favor with God. But I thought he was God. He emptied himself of that. that there's a mystery there, but he emptied himself of that. And he had to, just like you and I, he had to increase in wisdom. He had to increase in stature. That's just saying he grew up. He had to increase in his favor with God and with man. Jesus was a carpenter. We all had this idea that around, you know, when everybody said he's going to be carpenter work, that he was just like, ping, ping, ping. You know, he, he just is perfect right away. He had to learn woodwork. He messed up. He probably looked at a few things and thought, man, that, I royally messed that up. That looks awful. Okay? He had to grow. He had to learn. See, we had this idea like, you know, baby Jesus was just like, you know, his mom went to put him in the tub and he was standing on the water. You know, listen, this man was a baby and he pooped himself. He became a man. He had to learn to talk. He didn't just come out of the womb and just start saying, listen, guys, here's the deal. I'm God. Right? He, he, he did not, he, he became a man. All right, one, let's look at another scripture here just to think about. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Acts 
And this is important, and when I get to the end of the message, you'll see why this is important. This morning, this, this message isn't like the last one. The last one was one we felt like doing circles about. The, the, you know, this one you're not going to run around in circles, but when you leave here this morning, you will have a greater understanding of the gospel and what Jesus did for you. I mean, it's just, it's so important. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Peter is preaching here, and listen to what he says. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Everything you see Jesus doing in the Gospels, He didn't do as God. Every single thing you see Jesus doing in the Gospels, walking on water, healing all the sick, raising the dead, He did as a man anointed by God with the Holy Ghost and with power. Jesus emptied Himself of His divinity, His divine attributes, and because of that, He had to be baptized in the Holy Spirit just like you and I. Just like He told them, tarry until you be endued with power from on high, He did the exact same thing. And so when I say, people say, are you saying that he, you know, he, he, he wasn't full of the Spirit? Absolutely He was full of the Spirit. And remember, Holler Road, He was full of the Spirit in the same way that we are full of the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit in the same way that we were filled with the Spirit. See, because we had this idea, for example, think about that verse... Um, that he can be that he can be tempted, or excuse me, he was in all points tempted as we are. See, we have this idea Jesus was tempted, but at the same time he was God, so it really didn't tempt him that much. If he wasn't truly tempted, if he didn't really want to do these things or have a have a uh, you know a natural desire for these things, then he wasn't tempted. Did you know that Jesus had lust? Holler road. The Bible says that you can only be tempted when you have lust. Lust isn't bad. Lust itself isn't a problem. It's how we fulfill that lust. See, lust is just desire. That word lust, it just means desire. So Jesus had desires. He had fleshly desires. But he never went there in his mind. He never went there in his actions where we often go. All right, he was the second Adam. He wasn't tainted with sin as we are. He perfectly overcame it. He lived perfect. I think that's very important to say. But it says here, and listen here, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for he was God. That's not what it says. For God was with him. Not he was God, for God was with him. Was he God? Yes. But everything he did, he did as a man, anointed by the Holy Ghost and power, and, and just like you and I, full of grace and truth. He became, God became a man. It's a mystery. But God became a man. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses, uh, uh, 2 Peter verses chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. You don't have to turn there. But it talks about how we can become partakers of of the divine nature. How so? By believing the promises of God. Jesus was divine. He partook of the divine nature by believing the promises of God. Jesus became just as we are. Now here is, this is where you're going to learn a lot this morning, I feel. Okay, because this is, I touched on this a little bit in that last message, and I feel this is so important. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. 
Here is a good question, and I'm going to turn over some tables here this morning. Here is a good question. Why did God have to become a man? Because I think this is important. Why did God have to become a man? Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. I feel like I, I quote this every time I preach. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Notice what he didn't say. God did not say, God blessed them, and God said unto them, uh, I'll make you fruitful, I'll cause you to multiply, I'll replenish the earth, I'll subdue it, I'll have dominion over the fish of the sea, I'll have dominion over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, you do this. I'm, I'm giving you my blessing. His blessing is His empowerment. I am empowering you to do this. And this bothers people because they think you're doing away with God's sovereignty Listen, here's the way I put it. In God's sovereignty, He gave man authority. To be sovereign just means, listen, He calls the shots. Nobody can, nobody can tell God what to do. Nobody can say, okay, God, you've been doing it this way, we're going to do it that way, and God say, you're right. You know, I totally missed that. So sovereignty really means, this is the way I define sovereignty. Sovereignty determines who gets to, who gets to determine the rules. Right? Sovereignty is who gets to determine the rules. So God actually, in His sovereignty, gave man authority. And listen to this. Remember, Holler wrote, He put limits on His sovereignty. Let me give you an example. The Bible says that He can't lie, uh, that he, is, he backs His word. So if He has said in His word, Who heals all your diseases, then it, He can't all of a sudden just say, You know what? I'm sovereign. I'm not going to heal this disease. He can't do it because he can't lie. So he put limits upon his sovereignty and he wrote it down for us so that we can know the, the, the boundaries which uh, he operates within. Does that make sense? Okay. So in his sovereignty, he gave man authority. All right, now, here's where I'm going to turn over some tables. One of my favorite, one of my biggest influences in in my walk with Jesus is E.W. Kenyon. E.W. Kenyon lived from the late 1800s up to 1948. And, you know, a lot of people say he found the Word of Faith. He was like the founder of the Word of Faith movement. He, you know, he, he would, I know he's not in the grave, but he would roll over in his grave at the thought that he founded a movement. Um, he was very much against that. But E.W. Kenyon really put forth this idea, and it, it's really taught heavily in, in our charismatic circles now, that what happened was in the garden that man sinned, God gave man dominion, man sinned in the garden, and what happened when, that, when, when, when Adam did that, he handed his dominion and his authority over to Satan, over planet Earth. Alright, here's the problem with that. The Bible never says that. 
It never says that. Okay? Um, Psalm 115, verse 16. Let me read this. Psalm 115, verse 16. I'm going to make this a little clearer. We're going to find out why God had to become a man. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth has He given to the children of men. All right, listen to me closely. Psalm 115, 16, was this written before or after the fall of Adam? Come on, guys. After. Thousands of years later, after the fall, uh, the psalmist pens, he's given the earth to the children of men. Okay, after the fall, we have recorded scripture here that the earth belonged to man, not Satan. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth belongs to the Lord and the fullness thereof. After, before or after the fall? After the fall. So after the fall, we have recorded scripture that says the earth, it belongs to God, but it's like the earth lease. God gave man this period, this time period that we now live in that said, okay, for this time, you're in charge of the earth. All right, and there is no record that when Adam gave in to Satan, he handed him his dominion. Here's what happened. Satan did not have legal dominion over the earth when man sinned, but he did get an advantage. Man's spirit was alive to God and dead to sin. Now man's spirit after the fall was dead to sin, uh, dead to God and alive to sin. So Satan now had an advantage because man was more prone to listen to Him. Man was more prone to doubt God. Man was more prone to take things into his own hands because he had ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so he was now going to determine what's good and what's evil. Alright, so, so Satan didn't have dominion, but he had an advantage. See, because listen to this. Here, here's, here's the problem with this. So if we teach that when Adam sinned, he gave Satan his authority then why did God have to... Now, is Satan a, in a physical body or a spiritual body? Spiritual body. So we say that Satan took dominion over the earth in a spiritual body. So why did God, a spiritual being, have to become a man to take the dominion back? Why couldn't he just say, I take the, I'm taking that back? Does that make sense? We can't say that Satan was able to do it, being a spiritual being, but then God had to become a man to take it back. No, this is why God had to become a man. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 21. All right, and this, is gonna, this, this answers it right here. Why did God have to become a man? And there's a little bit of a mystery here, but it will help you understand. For sense. Now, this word in the Greek sense, you can look it up in a strong concordance. It means because. So let's read it this way. For because by man came death, by man also had to come the resurrection of the dead. In other words, since a man messed all of this up, a man had to come and make things right. So God had to become a man because he cannot lie. He had already given man dominion over the earth. God had to become, because he knew I'm the only one that's not going to mess this up. I have, to, I, have to, 
I have to become a man and do what they can't. Do, uh, be successful at where they failed. Okay, so God had to become a man so he could restore man's dominion. Okay? And I, I love this. Revelation chapter 5. We're about to spend some time right here in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Who sits on the throne? God. All right, God. Right here is God. A book written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals. Now, I love this. If you remember sometime last year, I preached on covenant. And the word book here in the Greek is the Greek word biblion. And it's where we get our Greek word, or we, our English word, Bible. So we can literally read this, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a Bible. I love that. Because there's so, so many people trying to downplay the Bible. Okay, And here it is, God in heaven with a Bible in his hand. Written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. So these seals are keeping it from being opened. Under the, do you know why the Pharisees and the Sadducees, do you know why they couldn't understand the Scriptures even though they knew them front and back? Do you know why the disciples were, were just heartbroken after Jesus resurrected even though they knew the Scriptures front and back? Because before Jesus, this Word was sealed. It was locked. Nobody could understand. right? They, 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 there was wisdom in it. They could practice that wisdom. They could obey its commandments. But the mysteries of the faith that Paul talked about, they were sealed. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Now listen to me. Shouldn't the answer be God? Shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't the one on the throne be able to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Verse 3. And no man in heaven... You know what this tells me? There are men in heaven. There are men in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Men and women in heaven. When I say man, I'm just referring to humanity. Nor in earth, neither under the earth. This tells me that there are men under the earth. Was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. So I want you to listen to this. This is why I'm reading. This is so powerful to me. Here we have in heaven the, 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 the people of heaven crying out, We need a man. Heaven, in this scripture, heaven is looking for a man. They're not looking for an angel. They're not looking for a God. They're looking for a man. Remember, Holler wrote, Heaven was in need of a man. A worthy man. And they couldn't find him. Verse 4. I love this. And I wept much because no man 
was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Verse 5, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. Here's, here, let, me, let me lay for you the, the context. This is, when this is being written, what we're about to see. Do you remember last time I talked about Jesus raised from the dead and he told, he told Mary, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my Father. And I said, in between that and when he went to Thomas, he, he ascended to the Father. What we're about to read here is what took place in that time frame between don't touch me and put reach hither your finger. Alright, this is the context. How do I know that? Weep not, behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. When did Jesus prevail? In his death, burial, and resurrection. To open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. Listen, all that means is, the seven horns, horns in the Bible, is always symbolic of power. Jesus anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power. So when it says he was having seven horns and seven eyes, it's just referring to he was anointed and baptized with the Holy Ghost and with power which are the seven spirits of God. There you have that. Uh, it's kind of interesting, but I can't get into it. But the seven spirits of God is not referring to seven literal spirits. It's actually a play on the menorah in the tabernacle, which represents the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, sent forth into all the earth. And, and, and I love this too. Revelation 5 verse 6, you can go do some homework. In chapters 1 through 4, it mentions the seven spirits which are before the throne. But here, after Jesus prevailed, it says, oh, those seven spirits, they've been sent out into the earth. What's that referring to? That's referring to the Holy Spirit was before the throne until the line of Judah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, prevailed, then the Holy Ghost was sent okay, into all the earth. That's what this is referring to. Verse 7, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, and when he had taken the book, the four, and, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, and out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So, God had a Bible in heaven, and, and he needed someone. That it took a man to open it up. Jesus is the man who opened it up. And I want to read this to you by Kevin Connor. Kevin Connor is a is a uh, a Pentecostal scholar, but I have his commentary on Revelation. And do you know what he says? And he he quotes like a dozen other scholars from before our time who had the same opinion. Do you know what he says this book was? He says this book was the title deed to the lost inheritance through the fall. So he's saying this was the title deed to everything that man lost in the garden. 
So heaven, so with that in mind, heaven needed a man to come and take the title deed and open it to receive everything that man had lost in the fall. Jesus became a man so he could get back our inheritance. Satan never had dominion over the earth. Man had dominion over the earth. But man lost that inheritance because, remember, he was at a disadvantage now. So a man came who gave us the advantage back. I just lost my microphone. Nice. Nice. John chapter 5, verse 27. This is... This is also important. John chapter 5, verse 27. Going to make this a little bit more clearer. John chapter 5, verse 27. Listen, listen to what Jesus says here. He says, And has given him, referring to himself, authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of what? Not the Son of God, but the Son of Man. Whenever Jesus is referring to himself as the Son of Man, he's referring to his humanity. Whenever he has something to say about being the Son of God, he's referring to that he is God. But he says here that he has authority to execute judgment on the earth because he is man. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 1 through 3, Paul is getting on to the church here because there's believers and they're going to, to court to fight some, some legal battles. And he says, here's what I don't understand about this. You can't even judge on these minor matters. Don't you realize that one day we are going to judge the earth? That we are going to judge angels? There's a mystery there. And I don't understand that. I've never seen anyone explain it well. I've never read anything. But Jesus said, I have authority to judge because I am a man. Let me make that a little bit more clear. In Matthew chapter 8 verses 28 through 34. And we're about to come to a close, but this is, this, these verses right here, this is important. And when he, Jesus, was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, or the Gadarenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs exceeding fear so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, Listen to what these demons yell at Jesus. What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? They are accusing him of trying to do something to them in his Godhead, in his divinity. So they're saying, listen, here's what they're really saying. They know that's God in the flesh coming to them. And they're saying, you can't do anything about us because you're God. But what they didn't realize is that this God became a man. And because he was a man, he could do something about it. Okay, look here. Verse 28. Coming out of the tomb, uh, And behold, they cried out, saying, verse 29, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Are you come here to torment us before the time? What time is he referring to? 1 Corinthians 15 verse 24 says that when Jesus returns and after he makes everything right, he's going to put down all rule and all power and all authority and he's going to give back the rule to God. So there's coming a day that God will deal with it. But right now, guess who has to deal with it? Us. That's why God just doesn't automatically deliver 
people with demons. That's why God doesn't automatically heal people. Because man, it takes a man to exercise his authority. So here are these demons, and they're, they're accusing Jesus of trying to do something in his divinity. They're saying, listen, you can't touch us because it's not time yet. And you won't lie. Right? Alright, look here, verse 30. And there was a good way off from them and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If you cast us out, allow us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the water and perished, or into the sea and perished in the waters. You know what I love about this? This is another thing that does away with our assumptions. We have this idea that demons are so tough to deal with, pigs took care of the demons. And he did it with one word, go. He told the demons with one word, go. And I want you to listen to this. I love this. And then the, they, he, they come into the pigs. Listen, the demons didn't cause those pigs to go kill themselves. What, what would be the purpose of that? Those pigs, they just went and got rid of them. Right? They, or, or they got them out of them. Right, so, so these pigs, could they were in control. That's amazing to me, that even pigs were stronger than demons. Verse 33, And they that kept them fled and went their way into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. He scared them to death. They were like, what kind of man has authority over demons? And the truth was, every man. Right? But we were at a disadvantage. Okay? Because of the unregenerated spirit. So, let's deal with some questions you may have. Um, see, again, another assumption. Because what I hope this message does is I hope after this you'll go read the Gospels and you'll see things in a new light. You'll see what you are capable of as a new creation. As someone whose spirit is alive to God and dead to sin. Here's another assumption. You remember when Jesus says, listen, I can call 12 legions of angels to come save me. Here's what we say. He was God. So he could have called 12 legions of angels and they would have came and got him down. But Hebrews 1 and 2 says angels were sent to minister to man. Jesus was saying, I can call 12 legions of angels because they were sent for me. Because I'm the son of man. You and I can call 12 legions of angels to come and help us. Angels ministered to Jesus time and time again, which proved that he had emptied himself because he needed ministered to. And those angels came and ministered to him. Okay, so... so when he said, I can call down 12 legions of angels, he was talking about, he was calling out his humanity, not his divinity. Matthew 28, verse 18. All power or all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now we go away with that and we say, praise God, when Jesus resurrected, he took all the authority back on earth. I don't think that's what he was pointing out. I think man always had authority on the earth. I think the amazing thing was now that a man had authority in heaven. Because you remember in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2, 
that Satan came before the throne of God and he accused man. And he said, and God asked Satan, where have you been? He says, I've been walking to and fro in the earth. So we see Satan had this access to heaven and earth. He could go back and forth. John chapter 12, verse 37 through 39. Let, let's, let's read that because I, I, I want to make a point. And then I'm going to give you a theory that I have. And it's just a theory, but it's what makes the most sense to me. John chapter 12, verse 37. Uh, that is, that's not right, 31, that's 31, you're right. Now this is the judgment, now is the judgment of this world. Now when did he say that? He said that 2,000 years ago. Now, now, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. When? He said now. Now is 2,000 years ago. Okay, now with that in mind, remember this is going to take place now. Now is 2,000 years ago. Go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And I hope this helps you understand that Revelation isn't all this stuff off. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of His redemption. Revelation verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. Listen here. And prevailed not. I love this because in chapter 5, who prevailed? The Lamb. Here we have chapter 12. Who fails? The dragon. Neither, listen to this, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. When did Jesus say that was going to happen? He said now, which was 2,000 years ago. And we could have read on verse 32 and 33. It says plainly that he was referring to in his death. In his death, the prince of this world would be cast out. Cast out a word. That word cast out in the Greek, it means ejected. So something happened when, when Jesus resurrected from the dead and ascended to heaven. He ejected Satan out of heaven. Satan no longer had access to heaven. How do I know that's what took place? Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, here's that word again, now. Now has come salvation. When did Jesus bring salvation? 2,000 years ago. And strength. When did Jesus give us His strength? His strength is His grace, His power, 2,000 years ago. And the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Verse 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Why? Because the, the, Satan's not there anymore. You see that? So rejoice. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. So, Jesus, something happened when Jesus ascended to heaven. He ejected Satan out. Something happened here. And again, there's a mystery. When Adam fell, it not only affected the earth, it affected heaven. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 22 and 23, says that the heavenly temple had to be purified with the blood of Jesus. Purification means, read between the lines, to be purified means it had to be dirty. 
Something happened when Adam sinned that caused heaven to need to be purified. Okay? That's all right, bub. Everybody's probably wondering at this point. Why is he still preaching? I'm just joking. So li listen to this. So when, when Jesus ascended, he had to purify heaven with his blood. All right? Here is my theory. Everybody say theory. Okay, this is just my theory. I believe that when man fell, it did affect the earth, but I believe that before the fall, Adam had access to earth and heaven. I believe that he could come and go. Okay? I can't prove it. It's a theory. And when he fell, he didn't lose his dominion on earth, but he lost his access to the throne in heaven. Because we don't read anymore where a man has access to the throne in the Old Testament or in the Gospels. And then when Jesus ascended and presented his blood and cleansed the temple, he took back man's place before God. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Now we can enter boldly before the throne of grace. Okay, so... He took the place that Adam lost before the Father. Satan had took that place. And that's why Jesus said, All authority has been given unto me in heaven, he mentioned that first, and in earth. Man had, had lost his place in heaven, and he had lost his advantage in the earth. Jesus gave man his place back in heaven, and he gave him the advantage once again on the earth. Does that make sense? Because that makes much more sense than, to me than what I used to teach five, ten years ago. All right? That, but, and let me, let, me, I'm gonna, let me show you that. One scripture that seems to indicate that. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Really small verse. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. And listen to this. Look at this real quick. The man. Notice he didn't say, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, Christ Jesus. He wants you to know there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Who was the mediator in Job chapter 1 and 2? Satan. Satan was the one that, that was, kind of, was kind of calling the shots in a way. Alright? So, now, Satan has been kicked out. There's a man who stands before the throne who is for you. So for the last 2,000 years, there's not been one accusation against man in heaven. All of heaven is for you. So when you read Job 1 and 2, don't think, well, you know, Satan is there and he's accusing me before the throne. No, there's a man standing before the throne now who's defending you. And it's not like God is upset. See, that's the way we look at it. God's upset and Jesus is sitting there changing his mind. No, it, it's just pointing out, listen, there is a man there now who's praying for you, who's defending you, who's taking up for you. He, he is for you. All of heaven backs you. Okay? But Satan, remember, that's why in Revelation 12, uh, verses 11 and 12, it says, Woe to the, earth, to the earth and the inhabitants thereof, because the accuser of our brethren is now there. 
right? Uh, one more verse, and, and this was the verse that held me up forever. Matthew 28, verse 18, right? All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. But here's the one you're going to hear. Here's the one that you're going to think about when you leave here, or maybe you're already thinking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul's talking about the gospel, and he's speaking about people hearing the gospel, and he says, The God of this world has blinded their minds, lest they should see the glorious light of the gospel. Right there. It says that Satan is the God of this world. Let me ask you this. Was that said before or after Jesus said he had all authority in heaven and earth? After. It was written probably 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead and said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. So that verse has to bow down to what Jesus said. So if we say, well, you know, now Satan is the God of this world. He has the authority on the earth. Then we have to take that up with Jesus because that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have all authority. Here's where the difference is. Jesus said, I have all authority in heaven and in earth. Notice he didn't say the world. But Paul said, Satan is the God of this world. There is a difference between the earth and the world. The world is this, is, is this world system, this culture, this system that you and I feel like strangers in. We're in it, right? We, we need cash. We need the dollar, <laughs> right? We, we got to have the big corporations that may upset us. We're in it, but we're not of it. It doesn't settle well with us. That's why, that's why everything in us wants to speak out against all the, all, the, all the junk that this world system is trying to push on the church right now. Okay? So this world system, that's what he's the God of because he's the one calling the shots. Here was the verse that kept me from preaching this for years. Luke chapter 4, uh, Satan is tempting Jesus, and he says, listen, just come down from, or just throw yourself off here, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, listen, I can give you all these kingdoms because they've been given to me. Here's the way we read that. We think that that's saying that because he's the God of the earth, because he took the dominion from Adam, he gets to pick and choose who's in control. No, he's in charge because the rulers of the kingdoms give him charge. First John, John talks about the whole world uh, is under the sway of the wicked one. It doesn't mean that he has all the authority here. It's just, listen, man continues to yield to him. This, the, especially the unregenerated, they, listen, they go his way, and a lot of times they don't even understand why they're doing it. So Satan doesn't have authority over this earth. Jesus does. And you have delegated authority. Right? Now, now you, that, and what that means is Jesus has said, okay, you know, I'm here, but I give you my authority, and you use it in the earth. It's my authority. You can't lose it. Right? And, and then, there, then there's some wrong teaching. It's, it's, I, I honor the people that, that teach these things, but you know they're like, hey, and when you sin, you once again give Satan legal right to work in your life. Absolutely not. He is a trespasser, and he has no right in your life. That's why the New Testament says we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Right? Satan has been ejected out of the heavenly temple, and it's up to us to eject him out of the earthly temple. All authority. 
has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. All authority has been given to a man. Heaven was crying out for a man and they found him in Jesus. Everything Jesus went through, he went through as a man. So he's the God of this age? Absolutely. But he's not the God of this earth. Jesus is the God of this earth. All authority. Yep. Yep. And, and, and he, listen, like I said, I honor the people I've taught this. One of the, the, men, the man who made this really big, been one of my biggest influences, still loving. I'm actually reading one of his books right now. Got it sitting right by where I sit at the house. But listen, Satan's been pleased with this teaching. Because it gives him more authority than he doesn't have any authority. And man keeps and Christians keep giving it to him because hey, he's he's got he's the God of this world. Right? No. He's not the God. He may be the God of this this world, but he's not the God of my world. Okay? My world and my sphere of influence, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. Okay? So that is so important for us to see. Go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at two more portions of Scripture. We're going to finish this up. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. So what does this mean for you leaving here? I think we've made really clear that Satan's never had the authority here. Man's always had it. How much more so now after Jesus says he has all the authority? Um... And listen, let me say this. I'll probably do a full message eventually on authority. But authority is not just, in the name of Jesus, I bind you. You know the number one way everyone in here operates in authority? Decisions. Every decision you make is you operating in authority. Because, and, and, and those, see, someone who has a victim mentality, they are someone who has yielded their authority to the enemy. They're, they're the ones who have, who have, who have um, they're at a disadvantage in their mind because they're yielding to him because they're, they're, they're saying, listen, I don't have a choice. I, I can't make the decision. No, the number one way you operate and exercise your authority is through decisions. That, 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 I just want to share that. For somebody... You Listen, you don't have to go home. If you're struggling, you don't have to go home and bind the devil. You don't have to go home and cast out the demons. Listen, are there still people with demons? Absolutely. All right? But as a believer, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a believer, nine times out of ten, a lot of our hardship isn't necessarily demons and devils. It's we have, we have failed to operate our authority in our decisions. Okay? Absolutely. So, so when you leave here, you need to make a decision. I'm going to operate in my authority. I'm going to make godly decisions. I'm going to make the right choices. Okay? Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Or verse, what did I say? Yeah, Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This word firstborn is really interesting. In the Greek, it's something like prototokos. I don't know exactly how to say it, but here's, it's where we get our English word prototype. So it literally is saying that Jesus 
was the prototype of many brethren. What's prototype? Prototype is the very first. He was, Jesus became a man and he showed us what, he was the prototype of the new man. He was the prototype of the new creation. He was the prototype of what, of what people can do who are full of the Holy Ghost and power yielding to his grace and his truth. He was the prototype. And now let's go to John chapter 4, or John chapter 14, verse 7, 12. This is where we're going to finish. This is why, this is what this means for you and I today. John chapter 14, verse 7. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and, have, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Listen, this is another one of those things we read into it. We think, well, because he was God... You know, he, he knows what God is like. I believe there's some truth to that. But you know, I believe more than anything, Jesus went to the Scriptures and he read the Scriptures as a man full of the Holy Ghost. And he's seen God's true character. He's seen God's true nature. And you know, every one of us should be able to say these words. If you know me, you know my Father. Every one of us should be able to say that. Not because I am the Father, Right? We're not the Father. We're not God. So he, and that's not what he said. He said, if you had known me, you should have known my Father also. He wasn't saying, hey, if you know me, then you, you should know the Father because I am the Father. Right? That's not what he's saying. Every one of us should be able to say that. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Everyone who, who sees us should be able to say, I've seen the Father. Not because we are the Father, but because we are a reflection of the Father. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet you've not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how say you then, show us the Father? Believe you not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Let me ask you something. Is the Father in you? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. May we, everyone in this room, be able to say that to the people that we come into contact with. The words I speak unto you are not my own. But the Father that dwells in me, He does the works. Did Jesus say that He did His works because He was God? No. He said, I do these works because the Father is in me. Verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Listen to this. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, walk on water, heal the sick, raise the dead, know what people are thinking before they even say anything. Do you know when Jesus did that kind of stuff? It wasn't because he was God. He was operating in the gift of, of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, things that are available to us today. He that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Do you believe in him? then you can do these works. And greater than works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Why? Because I am going to be the man standing before God on your behalf. God became a man. Right? 
in all points, tempted as we are. And what I, what I was going to say earlier is, is we, we, we think that, you know, he was a little, yeah, I mean, he was man, but he was a little bit, of, he was like 2% man, but like 98% God. He emptied himself. There's a mystery here. And here's what I've always loved. There is a man like you and I in heaven right now. Now, we all got loved ones in heaven, but they're not, they're not like him. They're not in a glorified body yet. All right, they're, they're, they're inner man's there, but Jesus is their spirit, soul, and body. So I just love this. Think about that person sitting right next to you. There's a person like them, a person like you, in heaven, defending you, talking to your loved ones. He chose to limit himself. He chose to take upon himself a flesh body. God did this. I'm not saying Jesus isn't God. God did this. God became a man. When will that cease? I don't read anywhere where it will cease. Just, that's just like you and I, when we receive our glorified bodies, we'll be in those glorified bodies 10 million years from now. That will never, ever cease. If we die before Jesus returns, then there's going to be this time where you know, we're just in our, our, our spirit, we're just spirit and soul, but we'll be reunited with our bodies. All right. So just as Jesus went through that, that, those three days where he was separated from his body, he went back to his body, and he'll be in that body a million years from now. A glorified body. Someone is in heaven just like us, who represents us, who stands before us. And what he did, because he became a man, we can do. Isn't that powerful? All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. See, that's really what God told Adam in Genesis 1. All authority has been given unto you in heaven and earth. At least earth, you know, like I said, it's a theory of mine, so I may be reaching when I say that he said all authority in heaven and in earth to Adam, but we know Adam had all authority in the earth. But now Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and in earth. He is the prototype of the new creation, the new creation that we are. Amen. That bless you guys. Awesome. All right. Um.